Hello, I have a little note for you right here at the top of this episode. This interview happened a while ago, and this episode was supposed to be published a while ago, but I got distracted, and so you are getting this episode right now with its perfect timing. This episode is being published as is, so some of the time references are a little bit off, but please enjoy and soak in all of this fun, juicy insight. All right, let's jump into today's episode. Do you love the pasty tapes? Do you want to keep this project sparkling? There's two ways you can show your support. Join the Pasty Tapes fan club and unlock special sneak peeks and fun goodies. You can also support by sponsoring a whole episode. To learn more about the Pasty Tapes fan club or sponsoring an episode, visit thepastytapes.com. Hello, ducklings. This is Blanche Debris, and you're listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Pasty Tapes. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Okay, today I'm recording from my burlesque room, which I have converted into an office space for my muggle self, which is kind of sad, but totally necessary. Also, I am recording at my desk and not in a closet or under a blanket. I did make a wall of these like squishmallow stuffed animal pillow thingies as my sound dampeners. So if I don't sound the same, that's because I'm in a totally different setup and I'm still figuring it out. Okay, anyway, let's jump into today's episode. Today's episode was recorded back in September. Yes, I know it's the latter half of December right now, and I'm pushing out an episode that was recorded in September, but this episode was actually recorded in September of 2019. So this is one that I'm pulling out from the vault. This is a delightful episode. In this episode, I tapped one of my dear burlesque friends, Tony Tabasco, to interview her burlesque dad, Icky Muffin. Last year, Tony Tabasco and Icky Muffin were both performing at the Big D Burlesque Festival in Dallas, Texas. They were kind enough to take an hour of their time and sit in a closet together and bring you this interview. Tony Tabasco is one of my favorite people. She has been a huge cheerleader of mine. She's been a fan of the Pacey Tape since day one. If you don't have a friend like Tony Tabasco, you are missing out in life. Tony Tabasco is a Texas-based aerial burlesque performer, a circus arts instructor, and an aerial Elvis tribute artist. Icky Muffin is a headlining aerial burlesque performer, a true high flyer. He was crowned Mr. Exotic World in 2018. His award-winning act is hilarious and delightful. His step-down act is also hilarious and delightful. If you haven't seen those, you are definitely missing out. All right, I present to you Tony Tabasco's conversation with Icky Muffin. All right, I have been tasked to ask one very important question. Everything else is like the Wild West, so get ready. Hold on to your seats. What is your burlesque origin story? (laughs) Okay, so my burlesque origin story, I guess 
It was years back. I was in a marriage that was slowly unraveling and um, I was kicking off a new project at work. We were starting this brand new project and they invited stakeholders from across the company and to initiate this meeting, we had this big icebreaker that was like, list three things on your bucket list, you know? And one of the things on my bucket list was to be a circus acrobat. And everyone thought it was kind of funny and I thought it was kind of funny too. But when I got home and I realized like I had a marriage that was crumbling and I really needed a place to spend some of my time, um, I looked up circus studios and aerial studios online. And I went to my first aerial studio. I was absolutely kit like just drawn in by it. And so I started taking classes. Well, then about three weeks after that, a friend took me to my very first burlesque show. And Mr. Gorgeous was the headliner for the show. And so in this one magical show, I got to see Ariel, I got to see Burlesque, and I got to see Mr. Gorgeous. And at that point, I was like, there is definitely some space for this in my life. That is so cool. I totally thought I already knew what your origin story was. And that is completely not what I thought it was. Really? Yes, really? Yeah. that is so awesome. Oh, but you know, it's 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 funny, but like when, when you're going through some sort of life shift and you are actively looking for a place to put your attentions and to put your energies, something like that is just like the right place, the right time. And that's what it was for me because, oh. you know, I've always been a performer, Maybe not on stage, but just in how I carry myself through life. Like at the Taco I, Bell drive-thru. Absolutely. I mean. <laughs> absolutely. I will strike up a conversation. I will entertain. I will do my little bits, you know? And this was just everything fell together at the right time. And I'm kind of an obsessive compulsive person when it comes to where my attention goes. And that just became my life after that. That's all my time was spent working on aerial skills, working on routines, working with my burlesque troupe. Uh, yeah, just never look back. Oh, lucky all of us, <laughs> especially lucky me. For those of y'all who don't know, Icky is my friend and my lyricist sensei, and I'll get emotional if I talk about it too, too much because he just means so much to me, but um, he's also oh. my burlesque dad. Oh. And we have a super... You can call me daddy. I, well, I'll, call you, <laughs> I'll call you daddy all night long, baby. <laughs> We have kind of an incestuous burlesque family, I realized on my way over here, because my burlesque mom, I think, is basically your burlesque mom. Yeah, is that absolutely. Correct? She absolutely, yeah, Miss <laughs> Malicious. Yes. And for those of y'all who don't aren't familiar with her work, you should definitely look it up on Instagram. She's an amazing veteran neo-burlesque performer and sure. just... And producer. Producer and yeah. woman all over the place doing all of the things and just amazing human being. So I'm one of those people. I'm always in the right place at the right time. I know best people. I think we all kind of lucked out there. <laughs> so I think a really interesting and helpful uh, lesson as a performer is your kind of the way you prepared for the Burlesque Hall of Fame Mr. Exotic World competition. And I think people could get a lot of benefit from hearing how you prepared for that. Yeah, you know, so my first year going to Burlesque Hall of Fame was not to compete. It was to perform in the Movers and Shakers Showcase. And I was... So excited. I mean, it was just such a big opportunity to get accepted and be able to perform on the Orleans stage with, you know, all these people in the burlesque community. But I also wanted to compete. Like, I wanted to go to that place. And, you know, one day I was at a festival and Matt Finish walked up to me and we were just talking about the, the festival and things like that. And 
you know, he congratulated me for getting into the showcase and he asked me if I wanted to compete. And I said, yeah, I absolutely do. And he's like, well, can I give you some feedback? And I was like, I would love some feedback because I'm a, I'm a big feedback person. Like, I think that's the only way to grow and move forward. And he said, you know, he's like, I think you should focus on your burlesque. He's like, your aerial is great, but like, where can you infuse more burlesque into what you're doing? And he kind of related it back to himself. He's like, you know, when I started, I was a dancer who happened to take my clothes off. And he's like, and now I see myself as a, as a burlesque performer or a stripper who happens to... Be an amazing dancer. Yeah, happens to be an amazing dancer. And that reframed the entire thing for me. Because up to that point, I was like, how can I spin and do crazy tricks for four minutes straight? How am I going to keep this momentum up? And getting to that point was just this amazing opportunity to start pulling things out, pulling tricks out, stripping things down, and really focusing more on the character and the storytelling and all of that. And so when I started creating the act that we eventually go to Behoff to compete, my um, cat, uh, Cats or Dicks routine, you know, I, I, I was strategic. I mapped it out. I was like, well, I want to have a strong story. I want to interact with things. I want to have a really strong character that people will remember that could possibly live on to do other things. And um, that's just kind of where it came from. And is that type of like going in through it a little bit more methodically and trying to check all the boxes? Like, is it humorous? Is it, does it show off strong skill? Is the character something that people will relate to and understand and like be in on the joke? And so Mr. Gibbles was created to do all of those things. Ah, well, mission accomplished. (laughs) As a proud cat mom, I can attest that Mr. Gibbles is just as much of an asshole as my cat and everybody else's cat. Which is amazing because you're like the least asshole person I've ever met. (laughs) You know, I think that's one of the things that works for me because like I'm very smiley and I'm very Mm -hmm. friendly and and but I'm also kind of a little bit of a cactus sometimes Mm -hmm. and I have a really hard time with you know, small talk and, and, or being praised or anything like that. Like all those things actually make me very uncomfortable. And I just kind of awkwardly smile through it. But Mr. Gibbles gave me like a really cool avenue to be like this little dick character and kind of recede into the character when I'm walking around after a show and doing things like that, that like just really filled me with joy. Because I could, like, use that as an extension to socialize with people, but also have, like, some, like, little boundaries set and things like that. But but there's nothing more joyful to me than sitting next to someone who wants a photo and then looking not at them, but intentionally away from them and making a pouty face, which come to find out does not work so well if you don't have the Mr. Gibbles look on. Then I just kind of look like this weird turtle. <laughs> But a very sexy turtle. No, no, no just I, the turtle. Just the turtle making a weird face. I disagree with your body. That would be absolutely impossible. <laughs> you would, okay, so this is going to get weird, and I I like to make things weird. It's, kind okay. of light. it's like my Olympic sport. Well, you know, I am particularly fond of weird, so I think we uh, have wound out in the right place. How do you take care of yourself as, I, I think, self-maintenance, not just from the beauty standpoint, but from the physical, emotional, um, you know, your just all your health, the whole ecosystem of your body. How do you take care of yourself? You know, it's, it's not that I do any one thing, I think exceptionally, I mean, I'm not super strict on diet. I'm not really super strict on 
anything other than consistency. And the biggest thing for me is that where I've gotten to now in, in my body and performing and being able to train and take care of myself really comes down to being super consistent, not only with the things I enjoy doing, but also the things I don't. So I really enjoy going to the gym and lifting weights. And I need to do that so that I can counteract all the shit that I'm doing to my body with Ariel and all the weird little imbalances. But then I've really made a habit over the last year of focusing on flexibility and mobility and self-care and, you know, rolling around on a peanut and foam rollers and just doing all the other things that aren't quite as fun and joyful for me and making that part of my process, even at the expense of some of the other stuff. So, you know, this past year, I've probably trained less on aerial than I have in the previous four or five years before that, but it's been fine. And, you know, I haven't maybe grown my aerial tricks quite as, at uh, quite the same rate, but I feel better in my body. I feel better with my lines. I feel better with all of that. And then with food, I kind of have like hummingbird metabolism. So for me, it's just making sure I don't skip meals because if I accidentally skip a meal or I'm running behind, I will lose my appetite for like a day and a half and it will completely throw me off. And, I, and then I will not be able to get out of bed and stuff. So I have to like really watch just to make sure I'm constantly getting calories in. Oh, very interesting. Um, my next question for you, uh, one of my, fa- I used to listen to a podcast and one of my favorite segments and it's not around anymore, but what, it was called self-inflicted wounds. So if you're comfortable, yeah. I would like to apply that to your burlesque life. Okay. What is a self-inflicted wound, a lesson learned the hard way as a burlesque performer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. This is kind of in the beginning. So when I first started, and I think this is really common, and I think this is real common with like skill artists, like people who have like a very specific skill, like variety or acrobatic or aerial or fire or, or any of those things. And it's also one of the biggest gripes I hear from people who are burlesque performers, like straight up burlesque performers, is focusing so much more on the skill and not on all of the other little things. And so when I first started, I was like, I'm just going to go out there and do amazing aerial tricks. And I'm also going to wear like off the shelf gay men's underwear with like five shitty rhinestones glued onto them and not practice floor work, you know, just, I'll just wing it. You know, I I can move that whole, like (laughs) that overconfidence in what you can and cannot do. And that like inability to see where you're just kind of dog shit. (laughs) And I would, I remember I would just go out on stage and I'd be like, you know, when you're on stage, Filling 35 seconds of time when you have not ever trained to just kind of like go with it is fucking awful. And I remember I got on stage one time and I was like, oh, this music is longer than I thought. And I'm like up there doing this weird little chicken potato dance. (laughs) And both chickens and potatoes are amazing. But like a chicken potato dance, it just it wasn't part of my aesthetic. Mm. in the routine and um you know that to me is just this mortifying thing and then like watching the videos later is just that like oh i can relive this moment 400 times before i go to bed so yeah we're just gonna watch this and like be like you're garbage you are trash (laughs) chicken potato dance but so now i have rebound from that now i like i err on the side of like you know overdoing things if anything because i'm like i just want all those little nuances if you're only filling four minutes of time like 
practice all four minutes of that time as much as you can. (laughs) (laughs) How many days a week do you train? You know, so now with Ariel, I I train about two days a week. But when I'm there and I'm training, I am in go mode. I mean, I am doing my thing. I'm spinning. I'm exploring stuff on the hoop. And then I'm laying on my back and like breathing and trying to catch my breath. And then I do it again. And I do that for maybe an hour and a half, twice a week. But now I've just rolled some of those other things that we were talking about, the self-care stuff into other aspects of my workouts and my time. So, you know, I try to go to the gym four days a week and I will smoke a little bit of the devil's lettuce. I will go into the empty aerobics room. I will put socks on and then I will just roll around on the ground and do handstand work and flexibility work and acrobatic work and really just don't give that many fucks that all the like chads on the ellipticals can see through the glass and see this like weirdo, nearly 40 year old man doing strange ferret choreography (laughs) uh, before the Zumba class starts. And, you know, I don't really care, but it's like perfectly scheduled in my in my day <laughs> yes make time for it yeah well and it's like it's it's, it's convenient and that's the right place so it's the right time oh, I like it I like it well my next question is because you have kind of a unique perspective uh, as a boylesque performer what do you think when you look at the current landscape of burlesque and the current landscape of boylesque um you know kind of what's coming where are we going and um what can we as a community do to support our burle- our boylesque performers better yeah i mean i think it's it's interesting because i think burlesque is always changing right like what's in vogue you know, what is considered burlesque. There are a lot of people who have a lot of rules around what burlesque is or should be and how people should or should not express their burlesque and even how they should or should not fuse in other skills. And at the end of the day, if we're taking our clothes off and we're showing our talent, (laughs) we're doing burlesque, you know? And I think it's really interesting how complicated burlesque is getting. You know, like the the new frontiers and spooky, spooky burlesque yes. and aerial and all of these things coming into it are just kind of changing the landscape. And it's awesome. And doesn't really give any fucks if it's not your cup of tea or if that's not how people used to do it. It's what people are doing now. If you don't like it, don't go to the fucking show. But there's like a little bit for everyone everywhere. There are so many different types of burlesque communities popping up that you know, revere different types of aesthetics and skills and talents. And I think that is just opening up spaces for people that didn't exist before. And I think, you know, burlesque as as a whole, as an industry, is making such a concerted effort to be inclusive and diverse. And it should be. And it's amazing to watch it happen. But it also, I think, at the same time as we watch it happen, it's amazing to see people coming in from all these different places, all these different angles with such extreme talent and dedication. That, to me, is what is most amazing, is to see the bar constantly being raised in all these different areas and people bringing weirdo shit into the scene, but also this like high degree of polish and talent. Amazing. Thank you for answering my super broad mind fuck long ass I was like, question. this could go everywhere. I so could. we're going to make a couple stops. <laughs> Thanks. Beep, beep. Ready to go. You're like, whoa, Tony, back it up. <laughs> but seriously, though, how do we support as 
other performer? Like, how do we support our boy less performers better? I don't know. I, I've, I've had the opportunity to meet some really amazing boylesque performers. I don't really know many in the cities that I've lived in that I like see regularly or anything like that. But I think, A, making space for them. Also, setting expectations. You know, I think there's a lot of expectations for boylesque performers that aren't necessarily verbalized to boylesque performers. And some of those things are like really small and maybe maybe a little bit more political and like what is fair in the burlesque scene. Like, let's take the issue of pasties. Oh, yeah. You know, like, I do think that like men are stepping into a, a women's space and it is respectful for us to put the same limitations on ourselves that women have to deal with. So we should be wearing pasties when we perform. Fine to not share that opinion, but I think it's also fine for people to be upset about it. You know, it has to do, I think, with with respect and how you feel in the scene and just kind of showing up and doing your own thing to fuck all else is maybe a little short-sighted and not really in the spirit of like inclusivity and being being an ally in the community and being an invited guest into the community. So I think like just there's like all these issues like that. And I think that frank conversations should be having being had with people and they should be direct conversations and not vague bookisms and not, you know, shade that is tossed around in, you know, performer groups. That doesn't move the needle anywhere. That just makes people hate other people. Oh, that's so well said. Communication makes everything better, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I think we're we're in an interesting climate with social media and things like that. It's so easy to be shitty to other people. And and I'm not saying it's never okay to be shitty to people. I mean, like if, if there are definitely cases where, where where people deserve to get dragged through the mud, you know? Um, but there are also cases where being honest with someone, being open with someone, having harder or more difficult conversations with newer performers um, in their best interest and not to put them in their place is the most important thing that someone can do. Whether that goes to wearing pasties for burlesque performers or a gripe I hear a lot is like the polish can sometimes be historically lower for burlesque performers. That's definitely not a rule that extends everywhere, but it's just like there are these themes. Well, like, if you see that, tell them, you know, give them tips, help them out. Just like help everyone elevate our craft because if we elevate our craft, like we're going to get bigger crowds, we're going to get bigger understanding. I think that will open up opportunities. We'll be more of a business. We can we can really be on like a different level, but it takes not backbiting each other to do that. Oh, I just, I that is a prime example of what makes you such an amazing mentor. And I'm so lucky because you always know how to frame things in such a helpful way that comes from such a positive place. Well, I can also be a grumpy bitch, but, <laughs> but no. you know, when I'm, when I, when I think when we have an opportunity to, to like sit down and be thoughtful about what we're saying versus just like, you know, rattling things out of our brain as it happens, like we do have that opportunity to be a little bit more, have more empathy for others and other situations. And also think about where we've maybe had an easier ride and what we could do to give back a little bit. 
<laughs> Sorry, in case y'all didn't hear that, we are um, we are closing out the very first Big D Burlesque Festival weekend, and Icky is staying at our burlesque mom's house, and she has she on the side trains dogs, and you can sometimes hear the little puppies letting us know they're here. <laughs> you know, you didn't specifically ask about this, but I think that's something that piggybacks on what we were just talking about, and that is the spirit of mentorship. You know, having a burlesque mom or burlesque dad or drag mom or drag dad or aerial dad or aerial, whatever, all of these things, having a mentor who can have your best interest at heart, express to you the things that have affected them and give you tips on how not to make the mistakes that they made or that they had to learn the hard way, you know? And I think having that is like truly creating community, you know, having those types of fostered relationships where you can learn from other people and ask questions and call and bounce issues off of their brain at 10 o'clock at night and be like, would it be crazy if? And maybe they're like, absolutely, go for it. Or absolutely, no one's going to get that. What are you thinking? How much weed have you smoked tonight? Go to bed. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, like, it's just it's just great because um, in a vacuum, I think we are so much less than when we have people we can lean on who can coach us and help us and, you know, help hold things together when it gets rough. Because, like, let's face it, we sacrifice a lot to do burlesque. The, 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 the time, the money, sometimes the incredibly low financial compensation, <laughs> you know, like what we do to go to festivals to do all of these things. Um, it's really hard, you know, and it is the best thing in the world to have a confidant that you can talk to and get feedback for to make the journey a little bit smoother. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, you know, you, I've called you from the hospital. <laughs> I've called you on my way to show me burlesque festival, totally yeah. freaking out. Feeling yeah. like Absolutely. I Absolutely. It is. I, if, if, if you are out there and you are brand new in burlesque, um, I, or any, anything that you do that you find joy in, I personally think it is doing yourself a great favor to find someone that you admire and look up to. And, you know, very few people, if you reach out to them and say, hey, look, I really love what you're doing. Um, you know, do you mind if I take some of your time, you know, at a time that's convenient for you yeah. <laughs> and pick your brain? And I yeah. think most people are going to be open to that. And, you know, and part of that too, it's just, it all comes back to a lot of the basic things of, you know, of respect and, you know, like, yeah, I think it's great to ask for help if, the person offers the help, that's great. If they don't, ask them if they want to get paid. You oh, know what I mean? Like, absolutely. Like, use these opportunities. Get feedback however you can, you know? Get knowledge however you can. Don't always expect for it to be free. But what it is, be incredibly appreciative and thankful. Well, and even, like, when you go, one of my favorite things about festival life and why I'm such a big festival nerd is I love the workshops. Yeah. Oh, I've gotten so many just gems in my burlesque life from workshops and I haven't even been doing it that long. Yeah. So has there been a particular workshop that taught by anyone that really stood out to you? Yeah. So two workshops that I was just like, oh, this is, this is great. The first one was at the Show Me Burlesque Festival, which is just such an amazing festival and community. And I took a workshop with Mr. Gorgeous and it was just like a chair workshop. You know, we're doing like some chair acrobatics. 
you know, I've been doing handstands and things like that for a long time, but I hadn't really done much with chairs and or anything like that. And, you know, I took his workshop. It was really fun. And, you know, he was able to give me some things to intensify what he was teaching because I, you know, was able to do a lot of stuff pretty quickly just because of my uh, yoga background and stuff like that. And I used all of it. Like I took it all in and man, I just started sprinkling some of this stuff into my routines and creating moments that were away from the hoop, which for me as an, as an aerial artist who moved into burlesque, that is what I needed. I needed to be able to diversify what I was doing on stage. So it wasn't just like doing a lyric trick to do a lyric trick, to open up my toolbox or my pa- extend my palette. So I just had like more stuff to work with for variety and burlesque entertainment. And yeah, and that just like all came out of a workshop at the exact right time when I was building Mr. Gibbles. Just right time, right place. And then I did a workshop with Inga when we um, headlined a show in Cleveland, uh, I don't know, about half a year ago. And, you know, she just did this dirty floor work workshop, you know, about like showing certain types of angles and just how to like move on the floor. And it was great because that's outside of my wheelhouse. And even if you take a workshop and you walk out with four seconds of just something that felt right in you, those are moments that make and break acts. Small things, small things make such a big difference. And you can just, however you get there, it doesn't matter. But as long as you get to them, that's what really matters. Oh, awesome. And, and the, the workshops and festivals are just a way to work with talent you'd otherwise never get to work with and ask questions and be taught something that you don't already know. Oh, that's a great answer. I, like I said, I love festivals. I love the community. This weekend, um, you know, at the Big D, did you see any acts that just like completely blew your mind? Oh my God. I mean, there was, a, there was or a, acts, plural. Yeah, there was <laughs> so many amazing acts. One of my favorites from last night that just blew my mind was Foul Play Cabaret. Oh. Uh, those girls are just so. <laughs> ridiculously talented. They're so ridiculously talented. And they did this number and it was dark and spooky and sexy and, oh, the, it was powerful. Oh. And, uh, you know, it infused pole and dance and then the lighting in Vivas is just perfect for something like that because they go all out on the stage production of these things. Watching them dance around and then, you know. Summon up that priestess. Summon up that priestess. I I wanted to like howl at the moon and take off all my clothes and run around the venue. It was just. I don't don't know if I was howling at the moon, but I was definitely like, I was definitely like, you know, when when goats are trying to sound like people. It was like life imitating art, imitating life. But, and you hear my voice, I'm like, that was definitely, that is definitely some foul cabaret, like (laughs) throat issues I have going on right now. Hold on, hold on. I need a lozenge for all that sexiness that just went down my face. <laughs> but also, also, you know, a routine that really blew me away last night was actually also yours. Tony. No, stop. yeah. So here's the deal. Like, I I remember when you first got started, you walked up to me at the aerial gym that I taught at and that you took classes at. You walked up and you like were so nervous and you wanted to ask me about burlesque. And I was like, funny, you should ask. I love burlesque. And you're like, I know. And I was like, yeah, it was a joke. And 
I pulled you aside and, you know, we talked for a little bit and gave you a couple tips on how to get started. And then you just became one of the hardest working people uh, that I know. And watching you bust your ass and you went through the exact same shit that I did where you're like, I am insecure about my my talent and my skills. So I'm going to make this the hardest Lyra routine that anyone has ever seen. I'm going to have all the all the drops, all the rolls, all the things. <laughs> and like watching you go through that phase. And then last night to me was like a really good testament to where you've gotten to, which is being able to come out on stage and hold soft, still moments and express nuance in your fingertips, in your expression and all of that. And that to me is what takes it from being an aerial routine that happens to have a non-spandex costume <laughs> and being like an act, like a full, amazing, thoughtful act. For me, like as a as your as your coach and as your friend and and you know burlesque dad or whatever, seeing that type of evolution and growth is just uh, just like a really like proud moment for me, but also just like a really happy moment for, for you, because ultimately you're the one who did all the work. <laughs> well, now I'm crying. So thanks a lot. <laughs> you're welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for every wonderful mm. thing you've given me. Oh. That said, because all of my favorite moments in burlesque, you were there for and yeah. helped create what is your most magical burlesque memory? Oh, man. For like my burlesque or just like burlesque? Uh, I think for you, your personal experience, what is a moment where you just were there and you were like, I am living my best fucking life? Oh, okay. This is actually very easy. So the first year I went to the Show Me Burlesque Festival... That was really one of the first festivals I did. And um, I mean, I, I did a couple local ones in Texas, which were which were great. But it was the first time to, be like, to travel and go somewhere and also go somewhere where I, I knew almost no one. So I went to the Show Me Burlesque Festival in St. Louis and I was painfully shy. I'm like a, a weird person. I guess a lot of us, I think, are like this. Where in some ways, we're very extroverted, but that's when we have like the in and we know there's someone to talk to, but in lieu of that, I'm kind of like awkward and just like, and then when I do talk to someone, it's a little weird because it comes out of nowhere. And I'm just like, hey, my name is, my name is Icky Muffin. I like your <laughs> friend. I really saw what you brought out on that stage. It was so great. <laughs> I can't wait for you to, to, to perform again, you know, and just like kind of weirdness. And That's then, me. For yeah. sure. And then I'm like, okay, well, they, they had to go to the bathroom all of a sudden. But so anyway, you know, so I felt a little isolated the first couple of days because I really didn't know anyone. And I just, you know, you kind of get into that like headspace of like, I don't know anyone and nobody likes me and I'm shy and embarrassed and all these things. Well, I got to perform Saturday night and then, you know, people were like, oh, hi, you know, just because like now they see what you bring to the stage and stuff like that. And so then there's a little bit more reason to strike up a conversation. But then the after hours party happened. Which is yes. amazing. <laughs> you told me I was not prepared. Yeah. I was not prepared. <laughs> but but then going to the after hours events, which are much more personal because, you know, most of the like 
the audience is gone and it is it is performers it, it is entertainers and you get a bunch of weirdo entertainers behind closed doors unrestricted by you know local alcohol laws and like just like magic comes <laughs> <laughs> comes to fruition things definitely be, are coming That's and, awesome. <laughs> and, yeah and i just remember i remember like looking around and seeing all these amazing people supporting the amazing people who supported them in this scene, in this industry. People who look up to their their mentors or their idols. And then everyone's just like sharing in the love, sharing in what we love and what we're doing and being totally radically authentic in who they are and how they are. And um, that was like a, a moment. That was a moment where I was like, this is, this is so much more than just like getting to go out and do a thing for some amount of money. This is creating something with a lot of other people who also have the same proclivities to beat to their own drum and be their own person and create something fully by, their, by themselves, by their own efforts and have total autonomy over their presentation. And that was, that's like a, a really freeing and powerful moment for me. That like I have the agency to create whatever I want, just like all these amazing people do. And then we get to celebrate here together. Oh, so oh. true. It's just, it gives me chills every time I see somebody go out there and they are, they are a god or they are a goddess in that moment. And we yeah. are all on that ride with them, riding those waves. And yeah. it, oh, it's yeah. such a great feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, as um, I'm, I know we're going to get kind of close to cutting up on our time and stuff, but um, for aerialists, I feel like we run into venue challenges. Absolutely. A lot of times. It is, uh, I'm learning over the years um, things to do to prep myself to um, not show up somewhere and try to figure something out on the fly. What are things you do that you think would apply not only to aerialists, but all burlesque performers that maybe they should look at when they're traveling abroad for a festival or, yeah. you know, whatnot? Well, I think this answer kind of goes two ways. So I'll start with the most practical one, right? And then remind me if we can to come back to the, the other thing. But first and foremost is like, have as clear of communication as you can with whoever's trying to book you. The times when I've run into the biggest problems, it's because I didn't ask enough questions and I didn't ask enough questions because I felt insecure being a bother. You know, yeah. I didn't want to impose. I didn't want to seem amateurish. I didn't want to stand up for myself or push back on things that weren't right. And most of the time, it is nothing malicious. It is nothing, you know, that it, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's just like my own insecurities like coming up and not asking the right questions, right? But you got to do it. You, you, you got to ask all the questions. You got to understand what are you going to be walking into? How are you being rigged? Have you measured it? When you measured it, did you use a measuring tape? You know, <laughs> like you want to ask very specific questions. And if you get squishy answers, you have them straighten that shit out in the most professional, tactful way you can. And if you're going to travel to do this, you definitely <laughs> want to like know what you are getting yourself into <laughs> before you get on that plane. 
because it is a scramble otherwise for the producer, for other performers who, you know, the the lapse in judgment and having to deviate on the fly might eat into their own, you know, tech and getting ready time and, it, you know, pulls bad energy into, you know, right before the show. So really it's just like, what is everything you need? And we should know everything we need. We need to know what we're rigging from. We need to know who's rigging or if, if we're rigging. We need to know what our heights are. We need to know what the construction of the roof is. We need to know these things. And if you can't be told those things, like you should not do the show. Oh, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's absolutely true. It's your neck. Right. It's and, your neck. And, you know, it only takes being majorly inconvenienced one time to be like, there is no amount of good reason for me not to like push on these things until I get satisfactory answers. Because when you travel a long way and have to deal with that level of disappointment of getting to a place and it being shut down, like as far as like what you're able to do, you just should never do that again. Yeah, I totally can sympathize with that emotion. (laughs) Also, think about how many props you put in a fucking act because I have made the mistake of or whatever it is of having a bit of props in some of my acts, especially the Mr. <laughs> Gibbles ones. And so that is also super hard. Uh, I mean, it's great for the act, but man, it just means I'm in the airport with like a giant lira wrapped in pool noodles, which already gets a lot of questions. And then like just suitcases to my limit. So, so I always fly Southwest so I can have two check bags, a carry-on, a backpack, and a fucking lira. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, there is, I do when you travel with your lira, I love that feeling when you're walking down the street to the venue with your lira slung over your arm or best case scenario, your significant other is carrying your stuff like you're very, very fancy. Oh, <laughs> I feel like I'm in my power walk position when I'm like walking on the sidewalk where I do not like it is when I'm standing in an airport because when you're not (laughs) mobile I guess you're more approachable and I kind of like accidentally make direct eye contact with people and smile it's just like this weird thing I do and then I just end up in all these like going nowhere conversations where people are like is that a hula hoop? Oh the hula hoop question and I'm like no it's not a hula hoop and they're like oh what is it and I'm like it's a lira. It's a it's circus kind of like equipment. A but and they're like, oh. <laughs> and then there's just like these, like all these questions you've literally answered a thousand times before. And it's just like, you know, sometimes you just want to stand silently in an airport, drink your juice, and like watch something on Netflix and tune the whole fucking world out. Oh, I totally understand that feeling. <laughs> and talking about why you wrap something in pool noodles just is like not on that list. I don't think I have ever flown with my hoop and it hasn't been, the pool noodle hasn't been cut off. And oh, be yeah, oh, no. They will like, I will be like painstakingly wrap these pool noodles, make sure I get like maximum coverage. And then I will pick it up on the other side and it has all been cut open. And there's like <laughs> five <stickers>. shitty pieces <laughs> of Homeland Security tape, like barely holding it together. And I'm like, okay, guys, okay. <laughs> I I did not get heroin stuffed into this steel hoop. No. (laughs) That must be so anticlimactic for them. You know, they think they've got the big score. I'm like, you thought you were really (laughs) stepping into something with this hoop and you really should have checked my anus. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
don't tell them our secrets. <laughs> <I know. laughs> don't, don't tell them the secrets. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, well, I think we are just about coming to the end of our wonderful interview. Yeah. And thank you so much for all this insight and tolerating my totally weird train of thought questioning. No, it's not. fine. You heard me ramble. You're like, I'm going to ask you about A. And I'm like, well, I'm going to give you B, C, D, and a little bit of A. <laughs> oh, I always like a little bit of A. <laughs> oh, wow. Absolutely. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. We can cut that out. That's fine. No, girl. I mean, <laughs> it's no surprise. Like, people probably see me on Grinder. <laughs> <laughs> I always have this thing I say. I'm like, well, everybody in Dallas has seen my boobs now, anyways. So, yeah. what else do I have to lose? Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I don't. I don't really worry about too much except for like really unflattering stage photos. That's yes. about it. Then I'm like, oh, ooh, I was yes. like, in what world was that ever going to be something that I would want people to see? <laughs> Why did you tag me in Facebook with that? Why? Yeah. No. Oh, no, God. Don't show them that side of myself. Please, please don't. <laughs> <sighs> well, thank you again so much for your time. Absolutely. And for all the magic you have put in my life. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, you brought some magic right back into my life. Oh. <laughs> some Dark arts. <laughs> I'm here for it. You know, I was just like, I want to be a wicked, or I want to be this, or I'm going to book of Satan, or whatever it fucking was when I was in high school, just like looking for some sort of meaning outside of myself, you know, and so... You know, I found a different type of magic a little bit later on in life. And Amen. I'm pretty happy with that. Amen. Well, thank you so much. I love you so much. <sighs> love you too, babe. Thanks so much, Tony and Icky Muffin, for that delightful interview. Since, of course, this episode was recorded well over a year ago, I reached out to Tony Tabasco and Icky Muffin to ask if they had any updates or any special notes that they wanted me to tack on to the end of their interview. And both of them had some updates for us. So here's... The note from Tony Tabasco. Tony says, I'm so glad to have had the opportunity to open this audio time capsule. First, I want to apologize for repeatedly using the term boylesque. To be blunt, I think my own white privilege made it oblivious to how hurtful that term is. I'm so grateful to Ray Gunn and the Pacey Tapes for opening my eyes, and I hope that, as a community, we stop using it altogether. We are all burlesque artists. As for updates, I'm high risk, so I don't really have anywhere to go and don't really have any big updates, which, though incredibly sad sometimes, I'm pretty grateful for. Besides spending more time with my husband, my dog Clyde, and my cat Dita Von Claus, it's given me a lot of time to think about the person, performer, and athlete that I want to be. Online classes have really helped me cope with anxiety and depression, especially Dahlia Fatale's flexibility classes and Gymnast Jay's aerial classes. If one good thing has come out of this pandemic, it's the opportunity to train with world-class instructors without having to fly or drive anywhere. For my own mental health, I did delete my Instagram and Facebook accounts. If you're trying to find me, you can always reach me through my website, tonytabasco.com. I do hope that when COVID-19 is no longer keeping us all apart, I'll get back to performing and producing and hopefully come up with some new creative ways to reach audiences and keep up with my beloved burlesque family. Stay safe, get your flu shot, and give yourself a hug from me. That's from Tony Tabasco. Icky Muffin also has an update or two that he wanted to share and add on to the end of that interview. So this is what Icky Muffin wrote in. As I stated in the interview, my husband and I were about to get licensed to foster slash adopt. I hung up my pasties for a bit and my last show was in December. We started the licensing process last November and we were complete by late February. At the start of the pandemic, we were placed with two amazing kiddos. 
Since then, we have been raising a 12-year-old girl and her three-year-old brother. I thought I was totally prepared because I read a bunch of books, listened to podcasts, and consider myself to be very clever. But parenting turned out to be very hard, especially in the middle of a pandemic. They've been with us for seven months, and I couldn't love them any more than I do. Both kids are thriving in their placement, and their aunts and extended family are rooting for us to be able to adopt them next year. I truly miss performing and the burlesque scene. I felt very pressured to take a huge step back because we are under a lot of scrutiny by CPS and our agency, and I don't want that to mess anything up. Once an adoption is finalized, I hope to be able to perform every now and then as I have bandwidth. There really is no community like burlesque, and I miss it so. Thank you again, Tony Tabasco and Icky Muffin, for that beautiful interview, and I'm so glad that you were able to share that with us. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Pasty Tapes. If you have any suggestions or feedback or want to hear something, please drop me an email at thepastytapes at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail or shoot me a text at 1-530-PASTIES. That's 1-530-727-8437. I have so much good stuff in store for you for 2021. It's going to be wonderful. You don't want to miss it. My Christmas wish this year is for you to hit that subscribe button. Don't miss out on any of the cool new shit that I'm going to be dropping for you. And leave me five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts. I might even print out your review and show it to my boss and tell him, hey, look, I'm doing cool shit out there. Eh? Eh? Anyway, I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. You can find me across the internet. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Show My More. You can also catch my website at showmymore.com. If you want to learn more about the Pasty Tapes, check out the Pasty Tapes fan club or find out more information on how you can sponsor a whole episode, visit thepastytapes.com. You can also follow the Pasty Tapes across the internet at the Pasty Tapes. Thank you again so much for listening and I will talk to you soon. This episode of the Pacey Tapes is brought to you with the support from listeners like you. If you want to join the Pacey Tapes fan club, support this podcast, unlock some sneak peeks behind the scenes, and get some fun goodies in the mail, visit thepaceytapes.com to join the fan club now. So, so, so much love to Pacey Tapes fan club members Kyle H., the man with the hat, Violet Passion, and Teresa. Extra shout outs to Big Moody Judy, Amethyst Howell, Betty Beware, Aria Delanoche, CC Bombay, Fufu Kaboom, Faye Havoc, Kitty LaRoyal, Kinetic Kristen, Kitson Sass, Madame Ophelia Red, Rosalie Bloom, Tony Tabasco, and Frisky Business. Again, if you want to join the Pacey Tapes fan club, visit thepaceytapes.com.